This episode is sponsored by Latitude Hockey. You can find them at www.latitudehockey.com. umpire from australia and author of the five meters please blog which you can find at www.fivemetersplease.com and you're listening to talk hockey radio hello and welcome to a new episode of talk hockey radio after a um, a very long hiatus unfortunately (laughs) through uh different circumstances and um well obviously then we have this covid thing happening as well so as usual i am joined by my co-host fraser hi Taff. how you doing you okay i'm good how are you uh good to be back i mean you know it's a bit strange kind of doing this again after however many i mean i know we've been doing some recordings in between and they've not been released because of like just things happening but maybe we could actually put them in in our future episodes. I know they might be a bit dated, possibly, but let's see what happens. Have you been doing anyway? I've been good. Been surviving back... lockdown. Oh, right. <laughs> How's that we all? Been back at hockey and, and stuff? Not properly, no. I, I've been able to get onto the pitch a couple of times recently, but not started full training or anything like that yet at my club. Ah, okay. How about yourself? Uh, no, not yet. Not um, not started training yet. Basically, it's pitch access and things like that. I think our first session is going to be probably this week so- at some point, and then we're going to go from there. So let's see what happens. But with the local lockdowns and things like that happening, maybe it might happen in other parts of the country as well. We don't know yet, do we? We'll cross that bridge when we go to it, I suppose. Yeah. But yeah, I'm looking forward to getting back anyway. Well, it's been too long. Definitely. <laughs> what have we got installed on this Back to Hockey edition of, well, Back to Podcasting for us <laughs> edition of Talk Hockey Radio? So we've got loads of stuff to cover since we've had this lockdown break. We've got the Hockey Family Awards to discuss, who won what, maybe a little bit of behind the scenes of what decisions were, were made. We've got to talk about the return to hockey here in the UK, in the wider area in Europe, and then some other places that are already back playing. We've got the return of the Pro League to talk about later this year, the fixtures for the Olympics, which is now next year, the Osaka shoes that are coming out. Okay. Oh, forgot to mention, you've heard the new jingle, right? What do you think of it? I like it. I mean, I think it's a good up-tempo vibe. Really gets you going and ready to talk about hockey. Did I tell you? I'm pretty sure I did tell you, even though it might not sound like uh, so clearly. But it's actually a hockey hit, a sweep, uh, a ball hitting the backboard. And so, oh, wow. yeah, so it, it doesn't sound like it. But, you know, that's what it is. I, I guarantee it, honestly. <laughs> anyway, but All I like right. it anyway. I like yeah, it. It's right. Good. right. So um, first topic to discuss. Are we yeah, going to go with so the awards? We're going to go with the Hockey Family Awards. OK. All right. So why did you pick all of these winners, Taff, on your own? With no involvement. <laughs> <laughs> you seem to think it's a dictatorship. <laughs> <laughs> Fraser, it's never a dictatorship, my friend. Well, as you know, we we do have a, a panel of hockey experts. We can call them hockey experts because they're in the hockey field and hockey family, um, sort of like 
you know, the wider hockey family anyway. So they're quite involved in hockey around the world and, you know, here at home as well. We obviously don't want to disclose who they are just just because I think it's better that way, to be honest with you. They don't get any comeback to say, why did you pick them? Like, I'll get in right now, Razor. Um, <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the discussions that we had were quite long, nearly as long as a podcast, to be honest with you. And we had obviously certain criteria again this year. Um, we got new uh, categories and we also have categories that we didn't actually pick from last year because there wasn't much new happening in those sort of like areas. As in, for example, you know, the uh, Kids Innovation of the Year there hasn't been pretty much anything out there. That's been solely for the use of kids. As in, last year we picked, I believe it's shoes, wasn't it? The Velcro Astros. And this year, there's not been anything like that, really. Although they probably have brought out new shoes for kids, but it's not been that innovative. So we, we didn't pick something like that for this year. But we can actually obviously go through who the winners were. Then we can actually discuss it. I mean, okay. Which one so, do you want to start with? Uh, well, let's start off with uh, what it's like on uh, on the uh, Instagram feed anyway. Uh, so we'll go for the Jasper Mamba one, the value shoot of the year. Last year it was the, uh, it was the, oh, I want to say Curric, but it wasn't Curric, was it? <laughs> no, it was still Kipstar. Yeah. yeah. So it was the Kipstar, which was quite a good shoe, really. The Jasper Mamba one has actually come in pretty recently. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming this last year, and it's, it's done quite well. I mean, there's been a lot of people, you know, wearing them. They were quite a good price. They were quite comparative to uh, Asics, and you know, like it says on the on the Instagram feed, it, they were actually quite comfortable to wear. They fitted really well. Comes in different sizes sizes to actually suit you know your different tastes and all that stuff. So that's basically why we picked it. Really, I mean, I think the the Coric shoe came into it as a little a little bit as well. But uh, in comparison, I think this one probably was a little bit better than the Coric one. But they were quite close. I mean, we we discussed it in length, didn't we? I mean, yeah. all, all, all all of them. So we'll see how you know see what people think. I mean, hopefully we've had a lot of people liking the. the <laughs> different posts that we've done for these uh, uh, awards, so that's not too bad. Some good engagement. So that was the uh, value issue of the year. We again discussed this next one pretty pretty much at length as well. Uh, the Nike Wild Horse Six or the Five as well, and we 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 actually discussed the Five more more than we discussed the Six. But we thought that because of the Five being so popular and being uh, worn by international players like Ashley Jackson and. Um, Augustina from Argentina. We thought it's it's got to be quite popular, and and stepping away from the the usual suspects like the Adidas. Have you seen it? It's it looks good. It yeah. apparently fits really well as well. I, I mean, it is a trail shoe, by the way. It's not actually a hockey specific shoe. But what do you think of it? I mean, I can't say I've worn them, but I've seen people wearing them. I've heard good things when I've spoken to people. I think the discussion that was had around picking between the five and the six, we thought the five was great, but the six has made some some changes that we think are going to be really beneficial to hockey. So I was on board with picking these as something a bit different. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, I have seen a lot of people uh, on hockey pitches going away from like hockey shoes and wearing trail shoes like, you know, dare I say it, the Solomon as well and other kind of trail shoes as well by Adidas and by Nike and things like that. And these seem to look good. They feel good. Uh, they've got some really good support on the ankle and, and on, also on the on the toe bit as well a little bit, it looks like. Um, so, you know, that's basically why we picked that one. I mean, if people disagree. 
maybe or, or if somebody's actually worn them and think they're great maybe give us a shout out and uh, we'll uh, we can discuss it the next one on on our list was the uh, most exciting player at female which was uh, maria granato and or marjo to her friends <laughs> again we discussed this uh, quite in length didn't we we had a, a few other shortlisted players and she she came out on top because of her skill set and her scoring from ridiculous angles <laughs> Yeah, so in the discussion around this, there was a few people put forward, but I think it was pretty unanimous when we saw the list. Everyone kind of went, oh yeah, it's obviously Granato. And we talked about that excitement of anything can happen whenever she was on the ball. Mm. Whether she's at a ridiculous angle or making a tackle on the halfway line, you just feel like she's going to drive forward and make something happen using her skills. Whether that's getting a goal getting past the defender to create an overload so that can get a goal-scoring opportunity, whatever. You just... It's that edge-of-the-seat excitement. Yeah, yeah. No, I totally agree. And, and you know, and that's basically why we picked her. And, and it is it is the fact that whenever she gets the ball, something's going to happen. And she very rare, rarely loses the ball, really. But, you know, a good player and, I think, a good choice for why we picked her as well. Most exciting player, male, Victor Again, similar sort of uh, reasoning behind this selection as well. Someone who's quite exciting. When he's on the ball, you can just imagine something happening. He's quick. His stick skills are quite amazing. I mean, we again, we, we spoke about this. And is there anyone else as good as him? Or, well, we did have shortlists, so yeah, there probably was. Yeah. Um, but... We picked it in in the sense that we we basically discussed the pros and cons of each of each player that we discussed, didn't we? And he basically came on top, really. I don't know. I don't know. Did did the iconic uh, celebrations actually pip it for him? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, they they definitely had some factor in it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, he gets the crowd on his side as well, anyway, doesn't he? So I think definitely a good uh, pick for that. So the brand of the year, we had a, again, we had a couple, didn't we? That we we had we shortlisted. And this brand came on top for the second year running, which was Oregon. This year, it wasn't about their fast growth as such uh, in, in, in terms of uh, products and stuff like that. It was a different sort gr- of growth, wasn't it? It was about sustainability and their policy on it. And I think it's quite important, as, as we discussed as well uh, uh, when we were, t- we were talking about the brands, that it's quite important in this day and age to actually look at brands that basically encourage and support sustainability. You don't think so? Yeah, so again, in the discussion, it was a a big talking point of they're the only brand that puts it out there. Here is what we are doing to stay sustainable. Obviously, before the COVID crisis hit, there was a lot of talk about sustainability, recycling, environmental issues. And we talked about how the, the Oregon brand is the only one putting themselves out there and saying, we are doing this. I mean, I, I suppose other brands are doing it, but we, we've not heard much about them. And they That's don't actually publicise it too much. And I think that is a bit of a not, a, not a downfall for them, but a bit of a, you know, a missed opportunity to sh- tell people what they're actually doing. That's it. And maybe this will push other brands to do the same and put out there, here is how we're staying sustainable going yeah. forward. Yeah, definitely. The next one was uh, Innovation of the Year, which was the Y1 Hockey Smash. I kind of got this wrong. I kept calling it something else. I don't want to. I don't want to mention the the name right. But 
it was quite similar to that product, but they've actually adapted this to hockey, which is, again, a good thing. Why Why do we pick uh, Hockey Smash? Well, we thought it was a, a really good product. Like you say, it's loosely based on another product that's out there, but modified to make it hockey-specific. So the, the target is a little bit bigger, the ball is a little bit bigger, and it, it's just a really good game to get people around and playing, especially when you're in lockdown, you might only have a small garden. You can get uh, a few people playing close together and keeping your eye in for hockey. So we just we thought that was a, a good product for the year that we've had. And yeah. um, you know, whatever you want to call it. And it's not that big. You've got a smallish garden. You can still play it. So we thought the overall package was quite good uh, in that respect because it wasn't as massive as, as other products that you can see out there for you know training and stuff like that. So that's basically why we gave it to uh, the Y1 team and their hockey smash. This one is a new one for us. We didn't do this last year, but seems though we're based in the UK, we picked a British Player of the Year for men and women. Uh, a couple of different people that was discussed in this category as well. I don't know whether people might turn around and say, well, why did you do the Australian Player of the Year? And why did you do like... The thing is, I think it probably would have gone way, way beyond what we were we were doing. Um, we'd have had to have like a hockey player of the year for every single nation. But the only reason we did this for for uh, this category was because we're actually based in um, in Great Britain. Um, I think if we were based in France, we probably would have done a French player of the year. Really, to be honest with you. But anyway, I digress. Maybe that's for one. One for next year. We'll reach out well, to yeah, our contacts yeah. in the hockey family, get them to submit one. Do you know so what? Get the the reverse stick can do Australia. We can yeah. get someone in the the Netherlands to do that. Well, I was, I was just thinking maybe we should do a different one every single year, you know? Uh, so we've got the British Player of the Year this year, and then we'll do something else next year. I don't know, that's a, that's something we might have to uh, might have, to have a look at. Uh, so the Player of the Year so for the female was uh, Esme Burge. Quite a new, I say a new player, but she's not already a new player. She's been in the de- development side for uh, quite a while now, uh, but she's actually in the senior side now as a full-time athlete. I saw her last year in the pro league when she played a few games and especially at the stoop and she really impressed me i don't know you you were there at the stoop as well weren't you what do you oh, think yeah. about her, her performance there yeah i thought she was a, a really good player did exactly what she needed to do in that game looking yeah. forward to seeing where she goes from here yeah i mean if i recall correctly did she uh she assist in one of the goals i'm pretty sure she picked up the ball about around about the halfway mark took it into the 23, passed it on, and, and apparently they scored. I'm pretty sure that happened. I could have been dreaming, but I'll have to look. for it, Daph. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that did happen. Because I was thinking, wow, what's, you know, stick work and things like that, and, you know, getting the ball to uh, whoever she passed it into into the D. But I'm pretty sure, you know, she did impress me at the stoop and, and other times when I've seen her play. She's one of the players to watch, really, I think, and follow her quite closely, I reckon. British Player of the Year male was Adam Dixon. Adam's been around for quite some time. <laughs> a, a really good player. Also the captain of the GB in England side now, which is well-deserved. You know, she's been around for quite some time. And like I said, probably one of the only people that has been around from the gold medal winning team of Europe in 2009. I think he is. the Well, no, Ashley as well, isn't it? Um, is the he's other the one. Only, 
He's the only one who's stayed with the team the entire time. So obviously yeah, yeah. Jackson's had some time away yeah. from the spot. Um, yeah. As we said when we were having the discussion, Dixon is just Mr. Consistent. He always has a good game. Nothing seems to shake him. He's just <laughs> consistently good throughout. And and also, uh, you know, you, you say nothing seems to shake him. E- even the responsibility of being a captain hasn't actually done that either. I think his performance as being a as being a captain and leader of the of, of the of the team hasn't lowered his game and his consistency. Yeah, there are some players who the armband weighs heavy on. Yeah, they start trying to think of more than what they're doing, and Dixon just seemed to take it all in stride. Yeah, absolutely. We we obviously picked uh, Adam Dixon uh, over the other selected uh, players. Uh, not that they don't deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> but we thought he, he just picked it a little bit above the others for now. Uh, that might change next year. Who knows? Next one. Yes, yeah, so the next one that we had was the value bag of the year, and it was worn by the Korok FH560. And if I remember correctly, this was nominated by everyone on the selection panel. So we, we had private voting and everyone voted for this one bag, which just shows the the level of quality and value that you're getting. So mm. not often we have a unanimous decision. This is the the rare exception. Quite, quite right. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like you said, we didn't have a long discussion on this one. It does what it needs to do uh, at a price that is way less than some of the other, even half as much as some of the other bags out there. And I think it's a good choice. And I think, it, you know, if, if people want to go out and buy a, a, an affordable bag out there for their hockey kit and sticks and stuff, they won't be going to miss if they actually did have a look at this one. But, I mean, we, we don't get paid from uh, Decathlon, so uh, <laughs> if you want to go out there and buy this, buy it. If not, it's up to you. Next one. So the next one was our bag of the year, which was won by the Grey's XI Rucksack. Uh, there was a few bags put forward. I think of the bags put forward, all but one of them was greys. So the debate that we had around this one was which bag should win. Um, and this rucksack won out based on the fact that it, it is so versatile. Uh, it can be used for hockey and it can quite easily be used for everyday life as well. Uh, and that versatility just won out over the other other bags. My opinion is still that it should be the biggest giantest hockey bag that you can get as much hockey equipment in as possible but <laughs> well i mean thing is it's it's um it's preference in it like you like you're saying let's say for instance this is ideal absolutely ideal if you're uh if you cycle into your training session or a game or whatever and you only want to actually take one or two sticks with you this is ideal obviously you can keep your and get your uh, trainers in there you can get your kit in there and you can get two stick comfortably, should I say, at a great price again. I mean, £40 for it is not bad, considering there's other rucksacks out there that are 20 30 40 even 50 60 pounds more than this one. It is the bag of the year, but it could could most probably have been the value bag of the year as well because it's such a, a good price. You can't go wrong. And it does anything that a 60 or or £100 bag would do as well. And again, we're not getting paid by uh, Grace for touting uh, <laughs> this. <laughs> go on then, stick of the year. So... Oh, value Va- stick of the year. Value stick of the year. Yeah, yeah, sorry, sorry. <laughs> value stick of the year went to the Korok FH990 Lobo. We picked this just because it, it it's not just that it's a low-priced 95% carbon stick. It's also all the aftermarket stuff as well. So you get 12 months return period, you get a two-year warranty. And we looked around, we couldn't find any other brand that offered that kind of warranty, even on sticks that were costing 
100 pounds to 150 pounds more than this so it's hard to argue with that value we also really like the fact that it is in one of the largest sports chains in decathlon and you can just walk in off the street and buy one very often with hockey equipment you have to go to a specialist store to get good quality hockey equipment you can't go into your local sports direct and get the top of the range stick you might be able to get some of the mid-range or low-range adidas sticks or gray sticks but you can't get the top of the range stuff they just don't stock them whereas with decathlon you can go in and get this and i've been into a couple of decathlons and they do always have they always have a few of these sticks out on shelves for you to pick up and have a knock around with oh no i, t- I totally agree and, and i mean we discussed this anyway didn't we i totally agree with regards to the 12 months return and two-year warranty and things like that there are other companies and brands out there that would allow you to actually send back a stick if it gets if it breaks within the season for replacement but they don't publicize that it's not a guarantee as such but you know if the stick does break you can actually send it back because i know in the past i've actually sent back sticks after about three or four months or whatever so one thing we did talk about was it's very different having a one-year warranty to having a 12 month return no questions asked and a two-year warranty and that was a big deciding factor if your stick breaks within a season a lot of companies will take it back yeah but we couldn't find any that had a two-year warranty listed. So if your stick breaks within two years of your purchase, you can send it back and it will get replaced. Yeah, I know and that's that, one. Of, that yeah, was that's, a big yeah. tick in the box for this. Yeah. But for sure, and, and you know that's that's basically why this this um, this stick won because it was such a, a no-brainer. See, to be honest with you, really because of the aftercare and and also the value of the stick as well. In, in its class, it's still the cheapest and it plays really well. I mean, we had a we had a bit of a, a play about with it and it felt as good as some other sticks probably year twice as much Sorry? year to the day it was it was it year to the day is it yeah. <laughs> brilliant <laughs> and i know yeah, that I mean, because it's my other house but yes i remember that yeah, yeah definitely um, but yeah i mean look it was a great stick i mean compared to other sticks that we've actually played with and had a knock around with it it, it definitely played as well as they do so it's well deserved that one and the next one so the next award is the stick of the year which we gave to the adidas chroma skin df24 okay this was do we do we, we this was do we discuss a lot of other sticks in this one i can't remember now <laughs> we we discussed a few other sticks yeah 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 um what this came down to is the hockey family stick reviewer extraordinaire <laughs> so it, it came down to the the stick reviewer who put forward that the df24 or the chroma skin range is the one that he kept getting out of his stick bag. When he wasn't reviewing something else, this was the stick they got out. Mm. So he's, he's tried several sticks over this season. Uh, I don't even know how many stick reviews he's put up, but this is the one that kept coming out of the bag. Mm. And it's hard to argue with the fact that they have access to so many and this is the one they kept taking out. He could, he could, he could actually give you a run for your money though, couldn't he? <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> But yeah, uh, like you say, after after discussing other sticks, this did sound to me and obviously yourself and the others to be probably above and beyond anything that you could you, you wouldn't want. If you keep going back to it, then it's going to be a good stick, isn't it? Even if you've tried one of the best sticks in the world or whichever person's opinion or whatever, um, I think. It was a unanimous decision at the end, wasn't it? When we when we actually discussed it and the pros and cons of it and everything. Yeah. So 
If you haven't tried it already, guys, the uh, Adidas Chroma Skin DF24, go and have a play about with it and see what you think. See whether you think we made the right decision. You might not agree with us, but I mean, it's a it's a good looking stick as well. I like it. Anyway, the next one. So next, we're on to the goalkeepers, the special team as they are. Yeah. <laughs> so we have goalkeeper of the year for the women. We picked Rachel Lynch, and this came down to not just how good she is as a hockey goalkeeper because we discussed at length a few people and it it came down to how she is off the pitch Mm. so it's how she takes defeat how she measures how she has a calm measured approach and just how she tries to lift her teammates when they're they're down whereas we've seen other goalkeepers of similar standards have breakdowns when things aren't going their way and and crumble lynch just seemed to stay strong and and calm as we we talked about throughout all of the difficult games I think it was it was it was more of a package, wasn't it? Really, I mean, yeah. we 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 know that the uh, the goalkeepers that we basically, like you said, are great in their within their own right, uh, and quite possibly it, it was a quite a difficult decision in the sense that they were all very good. But like you were saying again, we discussed their on and off pitch approach to how they handle it, and Lynch basically came up on top. Not one of those people that just over. Uh, reacts to things and or or even underreacts to things. He's basically again like very calm, collective, and supportive of players all the time, on and off the pitch. So goalkeeper of the year for males then. So goalkeeper of the year for the male side of things was David Hart. Uh, we discussed how good he was, how much value he brings to his team. The sharp focus as Ireland were battling in the Euros without him. And just the the quality that he brings to his club level hockey. Yeah, uh, he's up, he's up again, there. Sorry, go on. Sorry, go on. I was going to say again, we had several play, several goalkeepers in the running, um, but it was Hart that got the majority verdict. And I, I think it was the same for the same sort of reason as we picked Lynch as well. Again, his his calmness on the pitch and the, on, and off the pitch and his supportiveness of, of the team and and how well he plays in the Huff class. Basically, he's he's there with 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 the best in his class really, and he consistently plays really well. Um, so there you go. Moving on, the biggie player the biggie. of the year, best till last. So player of the year, female player of the year. We've yeah. got. Eva de Guid. Yeah. Um, we talked about how quality she's been, much like with Dixon, just consistently good, never seems to have a bad game. Um, you can't question that she is, if not the strongest, definitely one of the top three female players in the world right now. And yeah. that's as she's kind of approaching the end of, of her playing career at the, the international level. There's not a lot more you can say. She, she is just consistently... I mean, definitely amazing and yeah. i think it it will be a very big loss when she decides to step away from the game yeah she's been around for a while now and being one of the top three pretty amazing consistently being there in the world is not a it's not an easy feat to actually do so definitely a good choice by us i think hope i hope people probably uh, you know agree with that <laughs> yeah so player of the year in hindsight, it was quite an easy decision, uh, but we did have other people in the category, didn't we? But when we came to this particular player who was... The winner was Sam Ward. It was basically a no-brainer, really, to be honest with you. The reason for it? Go on, then. Well, let you give the reason, then I'll yeah. jump in as well. So the discussion we had was whether or not we wanted to give Player of the Year as the best player or the most inspirational player. And we opted for the most inspirational player. And when you look at the year that Sam Ward had had going up to the Olympic qualifying game, 
it's hard to say that he wasn't an inspiration within the UK at least. But then on top of that, the horrific eye injury, which for most people, I think we can agree would probably be the end of their playing career. Coming back from that, the partial loss of sight in his left eye, suffering from PTSD. Um, He talks about it on other podcasts that he's appeared on, where he would flinch and struggle with just the sound of a a hockey ball being hit. Mm. To come through all of that and return to elite domestic hockey and to retain his place within the GB setup, it's truly inspirational. And we just thought that that had to be recognised and he deserved Player of the Year. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like I said, it was basically a no-brainer, even though we had other people on this category, within this category. And when we discussed it, we we just had to give it to him because there's no one actually out there that's actually been through all that. And And he's consistently a good player as well, yeah? Consistently a good player. Every single time he's on the pitch, he will basically do something. And more often than not, he gets in the, into those danger areas. And unfortunately, one of those times was the fact that he got hit in the face as well. And being consistently good and then coming back and doing what he's done, coming back into the domestic league and then getting back into the, the GB and England setup. I don't think there's any other player that's ever, ever done that. I don't think. Um, I mean, the only other player that I think could be inspiring for the GB people would, would probably be Kate Richardson Walsh when she got hit in the face on the cheek though um, and then came back and played a few days later in the Olympics um, but not it, to it, diminish but yeah. those are two very different injuries oh yeah, yeah so absolutely I've no, had a, what... a facial injury similar to Kate Richardson Walsh obviously not at the elite level <laughs> um, but I was able to return to playing but I think it's very different losing partially losing sight. Oh no, I, t- I totally agree. No, I, yeah. I wasn't. I wasn't trying to. I wasn't trying to diminish uh, Sam's, um, you know, recovery and, and things like that. But I'm, what I'm saying is, you know, no, nothing like that has happened to any player, right? That I can recall. No, nothing close to that, right? The closest has been uh, a hit to the cheek or whatever by, you know, like Kate Richardson Walsh and who was the other one? Um, the Argentinian as well, it happened to um, quite a few actually international players, but nothing as close to or even compared to what happened to um, Sam Wall. So definitely a big inspiration there. Um, so anyway, we wish him the very best with the team as well anyway for that. Yeah. Well, what's the next topic? Let's talk about the return to hockey. Okay, yeah. Let's do so that. we are coming hopefully towards the end of this global pandemic. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, at time of recording, we're, we're in the middle of a slight relapse in that places are starting to get locked back down. Um, and, and not just in the UK. Are well, back in. Uh, not just in the UK, I'm not my, my no. ad. Yeah. It's happening across Europe, sadly. Um, hopefully, when we get to the beginning of the season, we're going to be in a, a much better position than we are right now. So, currently within the UK, we are on step two of GB Hockey's five-step programme. Yeah. Uh, so, the first step was one-on-one coaching, playing in small groups from one household. Uh, we're currently at step two, which is small group coaching, but socially distanced. So, I believe it's up to six people in a limited area, including a coach, uh, maintaining at least one and a half metres distance at all time. Uh, step three is small group training. So again, same sort of size, six players in a, an area, including a coach, but without social distancing. So allowing people to get close enough to make tackles uh, and work on marking things like that. So you could play small games, three versus three. Step four, which I believe they have now submitted uh, to the the health organisation and the government for approval, 
is uh, large group local club training uh, and some local matches yeah um but with restrictions to prevent leagues uh, and competitions resuming fully uh, i think this is mostly down to travel uh, so i don't think as part of this you're allowed to do car sharing and there's no changing at the facility so it has to be kind of a short commute so that you are only traveling with people from your own household um so the the final step is back to full competitive matches full league competitions and everything resume that's step five uh i believe they're hoping to get us into step four at some point soon but obviously with the the current lockdown restrictions being rolled back out uh, it's maybe going to take a step backwards maybe we'll move to step three rather than step four well they're waiting to hear back from uh, the government with regards to uh, the, the the proposal that they've actually put down um, and that was done last week so hopefully they'll hear back this week there's been a, a few discussions on social media uh, with respect to the discussion on you know the small groups and then things like that um so hopefully people want it to be people want to compare it to football and i think it's not comparative i you know we can't compare it to football although i we should be back there we should, well i think we should be back there where 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 football is as well but the thing i think the problem i find is that you know with a foot with football you can probably go out and play anywhere on a field or whatever right um with hockey it's a little bit different we need to be using an astro and i think clubs are finding it very difficult to get back onto astros at the moment because of schools and leisure centers and whatever not opening up their facilities for that at the moment not yeah, fully so, anyway so the the issue we're facing is not with the sport it's with facility mm. so a lot of pitches in the uk are not club owned yeah i think a lot of the ones that are club owned are back open and have people training in small groups yeah i think a lot of clubs are facing the issue of if it's a school a sports center or leisure facility they've not got people back in they've not got the staff on site yeah uh, to open up to allow them to use the facilities or worse i know some the sites have been shut down uh staff have been furloughed um, and so the opening up process is much bigger than you would expect. So it's not a case of just going in and unlocking a gate. It, uh, if they need to provide toilet facilities mm. uh, while they've been furloughed, no one's been going and kind of running the taps and making sure the water's still running, which means they've got to go and do tests on the water because the water's been stood for several months. I know I've spoken to some people who have said their their training facilities, they, they've cut all utilities going in so there's no running water there's no electricity there's no mm. heating so they can't use the changing facilities they can't use the light uh, some of them are water-based pitches and they don't have the facility to actually use the water cannons mm. because they don't have running water and they also don't have the power for the uh, the pump so they can't wet the pitch mm. um, and because it's been stood for so long if it's not rained they, they don't want to use it because obviously if you use a water-based pitch and it's too dry it can get damaged uh, so yeah. it, it is very much down to I think GB, England, Scotland, Ireland, Wales, hockey associations to, to push these facilities to get back open. Uh, whether that's going to require kind of a strong arm if they've had any involvement in getting the facilities funded uh, with Sports England or anything like that. I think uh, they'll, they'll know more when the government actually comes back to them and says, well, yeah, OK, you can do this now. But I think I think England hockey are being quite cautious. I don't think they're... they're being hasty in in basically getting all this uh, sort of stuff uh, moving forward 
I personally think that they're actually doing a good job, as in they're not being too hasty and actually opening up things and, and making decisions on a whim. They're looking at the environment and what's happening around before they start making decisions and before they start putting in proposals to the government to do certain things or open certain up or go on to the next level or whatever. So, I mean, they are trying to skip step three. Yeah, they are. And, and I think the reason they're trying to skip step three is because they want to move things quite forward quite quickly because the uh, the league starting in September, mid September, whatever. So um, that brings. But I think if they had time, sorry. The next point, which is the England hockey season proposals. Mm. So as far as I I am aware, they've still got four proposals in play. Uh, so option A is that the season starts as usual, runs September to April. Yeah. Option B is that it's delayed by one month and runs October to May. Yeah. Option C is it's delayed even further, running either November to June or December to July. And option D is that we have a short season running January till April. So playing either home or away rather than both in the leagues. Um, I've seen a couple of different discussions around option D as to whether or not it will be taken as... Uh, a friendly season um the thinking being that if we are running that as a short season uh the if there's still possibilities of people being isolated for 14 days based on track on trace and things like that uh there may be weeks where teams can't get a, a, a competitive team out yeah uh if for example one member of the team has to isolate for 14 days the likelihood is the entire team is going to have to isolate yeah and um, if it's run as a competitive league the official statement would be that the team below has to step up and take the fixture mm. whereas if it's run as a friendly competitive league and you know kind of no relegation no promotion off the back of the short season then if the the fixture can't be upheld uh, there's no like penalties for the teams lower down they can continue to play their own competitive game. But I mean, I think the biggest issue that we face is that 14-day isolation. Because you think about it, if anyone triggers that 14-day isolation and they have to contact people they've they've been in touch with in the past, is it seven days? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think so. Then that is more than likely going to hit everyone in a club. If yeah. any member of your team gets hit and has to go into isolation, anyone they've had contact with, which is going to be the whole playing team, but could also be everyone at training. Mm. If everyone at training has then gone and played a game at the weekend, it quickly spirals into the entire club has to lock themselves away for 14 days, yeah. which will also mean the opposition from that weekend will have to all lock themselves away for 14 days. It becomes a, a major shutdown in the league. Mm. So it's, I th- it'll, it'll be a very dom- it'll be a domino effect in it really. Like you're saying if a whole club has to shut down because one team member is actually or a couple of team members have actually got um, the virus, then the play the team that you've actually played might have to exactly do exactly the same thing and the teams that they've played may have to do exactly the same thing. Exactly. And so on and so on. So I think the discussion is that if that 14 day isolation is still in effect I don't see how we can look at bringing the league back. Mm. Uh, sorry, it's 10 days currently. It was seven days of isolation. They've just extended it to 10. It's 14 days if you travel from abroad. Mm. It's, a, it's a strange one. And we, we're, we're in a strange situation, as, 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 as we all know. And I think, I think the, you know what, I think what 
hockey players want is just to get back there and play, whether it's competitively or whether it's just friendlies. I think that's all they want to do. I mean, I've had a couple of discussions with like people and all they want to do is get back and play. I mean, yeah, there is some risks out there with regards to, you know, you may be getting it or whatever, but I think they want to go out, get out there and train to start off with because they haven't done, they haven't had some of these, so they're missing it. So they want to train properly. Uh, and then on the knock-on effect on that one would be obviously to go back and you know play a little bit, even if it's local games uh, and keeping it local within, let's say, you know, Yorkshire or Lancashire or whatever. No, I think it has to be more local than that. Well, well yeah, possibly. Because that's just your regional league. It's got to yeah, be yeah. kind of, you can play a team within 15 miles yeah, yeah. or 20 yeah. miles. Could Something be. that is conceivable of a, a commute where you don't have to meet beforehand. Yeah, I suppose. But, I mean, we'll, we'll only know once once we get the information back anyway. But I don't know. I don't know what the best option is, to be honest with you. I don't know whether the best option is that we just basically train and, and, and play within clubs until December and then have a, a shortened league where we only play friendlies from January to uh, April. I don't know what the answer is. I, I personally just think people just want to get back in there and start training and, and quite you know, having little games maybe with local teams. Well, that's the UK anyway. I mean, uh, I had a look at Australia, who have been a little bit proactive in, in, in their response to the virus. What I've found is that each region is doing its own thing. The, the, the actual Hockey Australia, obviously, are giving out what they can and can't do. But different regions are implementing their own things, as, as in they're not actually opening it up at the same time. It's more of a New South Wales might open at such 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 time and uh, Tasmania will do this and whatever. Um, I found that there's, there's not a consistency within those regions, not opening at the same time. They're staggering it, which I don't know whether that's a good idea or what it's a good, uh, you know, it all depends on their region, doesn't it? And, and how they've been affected by uh, COVID as well. But they seem to be doing all right. I mean, they, they've had not many infections, although... I heard that Melbourne has actually had an increase in infection rates recently and they've kind of done a little bit of a local lockdown there. I'm pretty sure that if things are going that way and we're going to we're coming to a second wave that might actually affect other regions in within Australia and also it might even affect uh, other regions in the world as well. Okay then. Talking about returning to play outside of our shores included, mm. let's talk about the return of the Pro League. Oh yeah. So okay. the Pro League has been announced it is coming back this September. Yeah. And the first Pro League game is Germany and Belgium, isn't it? Uh, on the 22nd of September. Yes. How do you think it's coming back? I think, um, in, in what sense? Uh, I think it's going to be closed closed doors. It'll just be... It'll have to be yeah. in September. I don't see how they can allow crowds to attend. No. But how will the international travel work? Because there are still travel bans in place. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, yes, I think... Is there going to be special dispensation to international athletes and they can travel on a, on maybe a chartered plane or something like that? I don't know. Um, it all depends on, on again, it, I think it's too early to say. I think if Pro League comes back in September with Germany and Belgium playing, it's not going to be too bad, is it, really? Because uh, where is it being hosted? It's being hosted in, in Germany, isn't it? So Belgium players could actually just travel by a, by a coach or whatever to to the to the venue didn't have to fly do they we're currently but six it... weeks out roughly for the return of the pro league mm. currently there is a a no travel to spain in place yeah australia new zealand think are still not accepting no yeah you're outside right outside travel 
Yeah. The US, I'm not sure it's accepting outside travel. It's the US, they accept everyone. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> so, um, I mean, I'm not sure how it's going to return if there's travel restrictions in place. Yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying, but I think... I was talking to somebody else about this uh, with regards to going back to training and, and going back to playing locally, right? Uh, and arranging friendlies and things like that. And I, and I, and the, my advice was that put everything in place. And if it means that you need to postpone it, then you have to postpone it, right? If it, if you don't, then at least you've got something to look forward to. There's an aim there. So when you're training, you're training for something. And I think it's, it's very, probably the same thing for the pro league. It's really. very different talking about. A local game, even a, a, a big game within your home country that's going to require a few hours travel to international travel. Oh, no, I, to- I totally understand that. And I think you, you, you're right about the restrictions of travel, right? But what I'm saying is, who knows what's going to happen in six weeks' time? Things are changing quite on a weekly basis here uh, as they are around the world. So having something in place, I think, is a is quite a good idea because then you can actually turn around and say, well, because of this current situations, unfortunately, that's not going to happen. If it's in closed doors, then the only people that it's actually affecting is the players. The players won't travel. But you... it, even if it's a behind closed doors game, the team has still got to travel, which means going through an airport, even if it's a chartered flight, Yeah. which let's be fair, hockey might not have the capital rolling around in some of these countries to charter a flight. Yeah. They've then got to travel out there. We know that in the past they've traveled out there a couple of weeks early to acclimatize. Mm. They've got to stay in hotels. Yes, they should really only have to interact with kind of hotel staff and the the, the team that looks after them. Yeah. But that's a lot of people to, to fly out and put at risk. I, I really hope it works. But given the current climate and how things are going, I think when they announced the return of the Pro League, it was too early and it's kind of a very big risk to put a hard date on the return. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying. And I do I do understand your, your point of view, but I think that date can change. It can change at any time. And, but what I'm saying is a it's a is... much more difficult thing to rearrange because obviously as things are going at the minute, there's lockdowns coming back in. Yeah. Tied to restrictions are rolling out. Um, last I checked, I think there was pretty strict restrictions in Belgium. Although I, I have to admit I've not checked very recently. Haven't they gone back into not being able to train anymore? Yep. As, as I say, a couple of weeks ago when I looked, that was the situation. I'm not sure if it eased or not since then. But if they're not able to get on the pitch and train... They're just doing personal fitness at home, even if they're doing some stick skills, even if they're talk- having in-depth tactical conversations. Is it going to diminish the quality of the Pro League, which is the hockey product that we're trying to put out to the world to attract people to watch hockey, if they're rolling out onto the pitch in six weeks' time and they've only had two weeks of prep because of lockdown? If that's the case, at what point do they pull the game and say, no, we need to push it back? It'd have to be early. It has to be early. Um, It it would have to be at least, what, four weeks? At least four weeks. At least least a month before they're supposed to be going back. Which means that they've got about two weeks to make a decision. Yeah, well, like I said, things change on a weekly basis. And I think it would... It would actually have to be a, a last-minute, not a last-minute decision, but preemptive decision on whether it, it goes ahead or not. Especially if, let's say, we have a second wave or something like that, or or, or certain areas of the world has, you know, an increase in infection rates or whatever. 
you might turn around, or Germany might turn around and say, "Look, I'm sorry, but you know, because of the current situation, we can't we can't host it." Belgium might turn around and say, "I'm sorry, but because of the current situation in Germany, or even in Belgium, we can't travel." And that way, the FIH would have to actually make a decision. So I said, "Okay, right, well, we'll have to postpone it then." But I'm pretty sure there should there would be you know talking with each other of the current situations in in those countries, and also obviously other countries that are uh, going to be trying to start hosting um, pro league games as well. We can only wait and see, can't we? Really, um, but it would—I I would say—to give him enough notice, it'd have to be four weeks before the actual game needs to take place for sure. So I reckon, what twenty-second of what, August, twentieth of August, something like that. That week, they would have to actually make a decision whether it goes ahead or not. Um, what well, would you agree? Yeah, like I say, I just—I'm really hopeful that they've got detailed plans behind the scenes that they're just mm. not making public mm. and there's lots of conversations going on I mean, it could be it could be the fact that they go out two weeks prior to the game get tested go out two weeks prior to the game they're, they're negative they go out two weeks prior to the game they stay there they keep isolated play the game and then come back and maybe it might be another two weeks two weeks uh, isolation as well again who knows there's you know there's probably ways around it I don't, I don't know what the solution is to be honest with you and we're in we're in uncharted territory here at the moment aren't we with regards to so. a, a, anything that's going around in the world not just in the sporting environment but fingers crossed I mean I'm sure yeah. we'll we'll have another discussion about the pro league in about a month's time uh, when we do our next podcast anyway and we probably know more by then well hopefully in a month's time we'll we'll know what's happening yeah for sure. so moving on to events that have been rescheduled yeah they've <laughs> announced the fixtures yeah for the 2021 olympics yeah which they're still calling tokyo 2020 though at the moment uh, i don't think that's going to change in uh, fairness i think that's just down to how perfect the tokyo 2020 olympic design is yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um yeah so basically looking forward to the hockey next year <laughs> All being well, it starts on the 24th of July, which is a, a Saturday, I, I think. I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah. Um, and the Olympics actually start on the 20th. Is it 20th? Uh, 21st. So the first Olympic, so like any sort of competition starting, uh, is football and baseball, softball on the 21st. And then you've got hockey starting on the 24th. But there's also other disciplines actually starting before that as well we usually start on either a friday or a saturday anyway don't we yeah at the olympics so i don't see that ever changing anyway first game on that saturday is japan versus australia men's competition uh, and netherlands and belgium so the pool a first all, uh, first of all and a pool b uh, game Let, let's you, not read the entire schedule out well, well i'm not here gonna, for ages <laughs> i'm not gonna i'm just i was just saying those are the first two games that yeah. are scheduled <laughs> Um, but yeah, so Japan and uh, Australia will start it off at, uh, in 2021 for the 2020 Tokyo Olympics. <laughs> that sounds very strange. Yeah. Sounds very strange to say. But yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm hoping that you know it's going to be we're going to be in a better situation than we are actually at the moment uh, in respect to the COVID situation we're at at the moment. I, I don't know. I just I'm just looking forward to seeing some hockey on 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 telly and whether that's pro league or whatever. I mean, I keep watching like old, you know, reruns of games that the FIH have been putting out there and, and other channels out there as well. I think it probably it's probably too early to sort of let's like, say who we think might actually come trumps at the twenty twenty one Olympics kind of thing, but because we haven't seen how how they've been playing over this year. I suppose the favourites are going to be still the favourites, aren't they, really? Yeah, I think we're, it's very, very early to speculate on who we think is going to come out on top. This uh, whole with... thing might might have changed it. Might have changed the, the whole, you know, I don't know, just 
match changed everything. How how you know these teams have actually coped with with the lockdown. How the players have coped with the lockdown. It's all going to be psychological, you know, and getting back onto the onto the field as well. Mind boggling. Anyway, yeah. So so, well, so that was a bit quick then, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Moving on swiftly. Moving on swiftly. Yes. Have you, this, you been go. able to listen to any of the Osaka podcast? You know what? I'm going to be completely honest with you. I didn't even know they had a podcast. I think I need to get ah, back into, get back into this hockey mode again. <laughs> oh, okay, geez. so to catch you up briefly, Osaka have been putting out a series of podcasts around the creation, design, manufacture, and testing of their new range of hockey shoes. Ah. So you might remember a few seasons ago, Osaka had a range of hockey shoes, and very recently. They kind of quietly discontinued them. Right, okay. So what happened is they were getting negative feedback from their elite players saying they were they not really fit for purpose and they weren't doing the job they really wanted them to do. Yeah. So what Osaka have done is they've gone right back to the design phase and have started from the ground up to manufacture a hockey shoe. Yeah. And this is covered in, a, as I say, a series of podcasts. Send me the link. So it starts off with a few of their players talking about the old shoes. It goes into the design, goes into who they spoke to, goes into uh, the evaluation that they did of uh, the hockey shoes that people are wearing. So like we've already talked about in the award section, people are wearing non-hockey shoes for hockey because they weren't getting what they wanted out of the hockey shoes available. Mm. So they've taken that and they've reworked everything, starting from ground up, looking at how the game is played. Uh, They've got two big wigs. Uh, I do have their names written down somewhere. If you bear with me one second... And we'll go into a commercial break here. (laughs) So uh, they worked with Dr. Paul Griffin and Dr. Simon Bartold, who are sports pedology and sports scientists, who have in the past worked with major brands such as Nike, Asics and Solomon in designing shoes specific for running and for other sports. So these are two contract designers of shoes so they are elite level shoe specialists wow Uh, okay the term they throw around a lot in the podcast is shoe dogs (laughs) which is basically uh shoe enthusiasts yeah um sneaker heads as some people might call them would be like three or four runs down the the ladder from where these guys are yeah yeah. Uh, so these are top level shoe specialists and they've got them in um and one of the takeaways i had from listening to them talking was they watched a game of hockey and the first thing they pointed out was that they the person the players they were watching spent almost half of their time in the game of hockey running backwards okay so you think of being dynamic and being active and sprinting forwards and darting left and right and you spend half of your time in hockey running backwards. Mm. They also talk about stuff like the the level of protection the shoe offers, the fact that certain players go and get ankle supports fitted to their shoes. Mm. They go into a lot of detail that I'm not going to repeat yeah, and yeah. cycle back um but they they really have gone down to like the minute details of shoes yeah. uh, and they've taken this forward and and they've built up the idio shoe yeah uh which is due for release very very shortly at time of recording that it's all coming out and you'll be able to register interest and pre-order and stuff like that so the price and everything is not officially out yet mm-hmm. when we are recording uh but like i say it it's a really interesting listen. 
it's a different kind of thing that Osaka have been doing for a few years. So they are now trying a different marketing approach with these shoes in that they are showing you behind the curtain in a, a series of podcast interviews uh, or discussions, yeah. however you want to look at it. Uh, they're about 30 minutes apiece. And I believe there's six episodes, so it's a, about three hours to listen through them all. I might have a go. I might have a listen. You'll have to it, send me the link. It does have uh, like Arthur Van Doren in one of the episodes. It has Felix Denea uh, along with the, the shoe specialist that I mentioned before and some yeah. of the other people who have been involved. So, so it, my, my, my question is, I mean, this, this sounds pretty really fascinating and I, and I will basically uh, um, listen to the podcast. To be honest with you, the reason I'm not listening to the to that particular podcast because I've been what, listening to other podcasts that have been uh, you know um, because of this lockdown and things like that people have been making their own little podcasts really like Ian Sloan doing his own podcast and there's other hockey players that are actually bringing out their podcasts and, uh, and things like that so I've been more you know listening to those really but my question about the hockey shoes why isn't another brand ever done anything like this because that sounds like a really in-depth analysis of how how hockey players, especially elite hockey players, play, how they run. Like you're saying, they run backwards mostly, and that's pretty much that's pretty accurate. You know, when you're jockeying a player, you actually are running backwards more, uh, more often than not. Why hasn't someone else done this? Because I mean, these these shoes, I really want to buy a pair of these shoes. And Osaka, I don't have that much money, right? So can you send me a pair? <laughs> um, no, but on a serious note. So- I, you know, it is why? something that they discuss in the podcast, so I'm not going to spoil that surprise for you, Taff. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. It, 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 it is something it. that they discuss <laughs> as to, to why other brands haven't done it this yeah. way before. Okay. Okay. So I recommend right. going and giving it a listen. Okay. I will do. I will do. Maybe we might have to talk about this a little bit more then next uh, episode because I'll be more informed and then we can talk, talk about it. But yeah, I think that's a brilliant idea. And if, and if they give you an insight on why they why they chose to do that, that'd be even, even good insight. So if, guys, if you haven't actually listened to this podcast like myself, who's been in the dark, uh, <laughs> go out there and uh, check out the podcast. Cool. Okay, so, wow. Um, what, what an episode. It's a, it's, a bit, it's a bit of a short one there, Fraser. Yeah, not like us. I know, exactly. I mean, we've been... We've been, we've been recording from... and we're finishing and it's the same day as when we started. <laughs> Well, you know, okay. Am I to blame? Do I to go on too much anyway? Uh, probably do. Uh, but yeah, thanks for joining me again, Fraser. Um, it has been a pleasure, as always. This is a bit of a shorter podcast, shockingly. <laughs> but we obviously will be back with more episodes on a monthly basis again after this one. So thanks for joining us. If you've listened to this podcast, thanks for joining us. If you can sort of like spread the news that we're actually back, that'd be amazing. We want more people to listen to us, hopefully and get some feedback uh, on what uh, we've discussed as well. So, again, thanks, Fraser. Thanks, Dad. Hopefully have you on next podcast as well. Yeah, speak to you soon. Speak to you soon. Take care. Hi, I'm Elisabetta Pacella, and I play for Italy. You're listening to Talk Hockey Radio.